kind of see people just everywhere, even in the men's room. Just all around. Just all around. Yep, yep all around. Um, anything else you want to add, on? Yeah, I mean, for me, my, my goal really is to kind of walk away with, with really two two or three maybe solid uh, sound bites or bullet points that I can take back um, to my team back at, back at BlackRock and say, like, you know, th- this is what I learned, and hopefully we can apply this in understanding the markets better for, our, you know, for enhancing the, the investing process as a whole. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right, cool. Well, guys, I really appreciate this. Yeah. This is awesome. It's been fun. Uh, yeah, this is great. Last question before we roll out. What's your favorite casino in Atlantic City? Rob. Um, <laughs> well, I guess uh, my it's first been question, a while my first question regularly is, going to well, man, that was my first question in terms of what's left in terms of active casinos. <laughs> uh, okay, so we have uh, we have Caesars, Bally's, we have Harrah's, we have Ocean, we have Hard Rock, we have Tropicana, we have Borgata, and Trop- I think I said Tropicana, oh my God, and Resorts. So that, that's where we're at, Rob. What about Revel? Um, Revel is now is, is now ocean. Yeah, Same yeah. awesome four to ceiling windows and the uh, and the little I think they used to have like the little TV in the bathroom over there, uh, but uh, now it is ocean. Same ball on top, but it is lit a bunch of different ways. So does that uh, influence your decision? Now? Um, yes. I'm okay. gonna say Borgata. Okay. What was your favorite one to go to? Maybe seven years ago. Maybe Harris. Maybe Harris. Okay. Gotta hit that, that, that pool is intoxicating. Gotta hit that. that uh, yes, it is. And I believe you did a forecast. I, cool. I did. That, right? I did. That was my first. Uh, that was my. Uh, I was. Or what I should say is, it was the first day. It was below 32 degrees for a day. I said, "What better way to spend it than at the pool?" <laughs> so we went to the pool, and we were in the pool at the pool. And uh, yeah, that was cool. That was a. That was the. Um, uh, the first and at the or the first time at the time where I, I did a VIP over at the pool. And that, that's probably the first ever on record pool forecast. Maybe it probably is. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Noel Stevenson for uh, hooking us up uh, that day. Hey everyone, it's meteorologist Joe Martucci. It is time for Something in the Air podcast. And today we are on location in Boston, Massachusetts, home of the 100th annual American Meteorological Society Conference. We will talk a lot more about that in a little bit. But first, I have not one, but two guests with me here uh, this evening in Boston. Join with me. Two close friends of mine. Uh, we have Shinando Basu, also known as the best man in my wedding. Uh, he is an energy private equity uh, risk management. Did I got that right so far? Yep. yep. At, uh, at BlackRock. And then we have uh, Rob DiRenzo, a.k.a. Zocat, a.k.a. Zocat, a.k.a. Zo underscore cat. Um, he uh, is a good friend of mine. But he is uh, Rob is a senior meteorologist and global strategy leader uh, for IBM. So thank you guys for being here today. Thanks for having us. That's a pleasure. So let's first talk about uh, why you guys are actually – at the conference, and then we'll talk about what you guys do. So, Sean, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, AMS, I have a pretty, I guess a, we both have a pretty long relationship with the AMS. I mean, all of us started coming here in our junior year of, of college at Rutgers, and uh, I mean, my story is is kind of that AMS got me into the career that I'm doing now. Um, I learned about the whole intersection between weather and energy at AMS, and uh, that, that's, that's when I became fascinated with the, with the way energy 
uh, is affected, energy prices are affected by, um, you know, changes in, in, in weather pattern and that kind of thing. So my primary reason really for coming back, um, you know, year after year at this point in my, in my career is really to stay up to date with everything that's going on in the world of weather and the world of, um, in, you know, weather forecasting as it pertains to the energy markets. And, uh, you know, you can't, you can't ever stop learning. There's, there's always a lot to learn. Um, helps me. I have to, I was thinking about going again, but we have not had a day that's been like, really cold like that yet here in south jersey um so we'll probably get there back there at some point we'll see how about you yeah for me it's hands down it's ocean formerly revel right yeah yeah i all liked revel by the way if you can't uh tell yeah we, we had some good memories there in our in our ruckers days for sure yeah yeah we we made the most of that place even in the dead of winter when it was uh it was pretty much empty <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah i mean ocean's great you know the vibe in, in the on the casino floor it's just completely unlike any of the other casinos in ac oh. and i'm, I'm yeah I'm a, I'm a huge fan it's a lot of fun going back but i will say um, for throwback sake, my favorite casino from back in the day was probably Showboat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right next to Ocean. Show, Showboat was, oh, a, was a great time back. And, you know, small casino floor, you know, friendly dealers, you know, always, there's always a $5 table. It was, it was a great time. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I pass by it all the time. I think about when we used to, uh, go back there, uh, uh, back in the day. But, uh, you know, hopefully right now you can actually rent, you can actually, uh, uh, there's apartments there. Yeah. I've heard. So you can do that. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Rob, Shando, really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your uh, very busy schedules. Look at us. We're all adults now. Very busy schedules to uh, come out and chat. Uh, this was our Something in the Air podcast. You can catch it the first and third Wednesdays of the month. We'll be back with you in February with Dr. Dave Robinson, who is also at the conference. I've been with him numerous times already. We'll be recapping the month of January. Until then, everybody, take care. stay uh, you know current in my field and uh, you know just contribute and grow professionally in my workplace now rob like you're the opposite so actually you didn't come with us when we were at Rutgers, uh, but you've been coming here ever since so you're you're a veteran of ams right now so why are you here this year what are you part of sure i mean i think that the concept is always for learning right of, you know what's what's going on in the in the public and private sector uh for myself you know this year in the past couple of years uh, you know, once I joined the consulting world, it, it's more on kind of, uh, you know, letting folks know what you're up to in terms of, you know, your offerings, your services, but also connecting with folks that, you know, you normally wouldn't see uh, on a day to day basis. So it's it's a lot of different things, you know, learning what's going on, uh, you know, learning new, new technologies, new services, connecting with new people um, and just kind of connecting with people uh yeah, that you normally wouldn't see. Yeah, and like just to paint the picture for everybody, I mean, this is like the gold standard for weather conferences that we're at here. I mean, there's I think five thousand people, right? I think they said five thousand yep. people yeah, that are yeah. here, and most of them are meteorologists. And even if they're not, they're closely related, working in weather. I mean, you just see, you know, 
legends in all respective fields. I mean, you know, not just media. I mean, you're talking about like energy and, you know, academia and everything. And everyone just kind of like gets together and talks shop and, you know, a lot of fun. And, you know, I think Rob said, and you said it too. I mean, networking is like really a huge thing. I mean, the people, you know, that you can meet or just the people you just bump into, everyone's like real friendly. It's like, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing to go to. I haven't gone in six years, so I'm happy to be here this year. And I'll actually be giving a talk um, you will hear this probably after I give a talk. I'm giving a talk at the broadcast conference talking about us at the press of Atlantic City and how weather has really uh, been a real positive for the press uh, ever since. You know, we did have the shutdown at TV40 uh, beforehand and having you know Dan Skeldon being here. And then what we've done, we have some good results um, actually to share. And like a little sneak peek um, for four out of the five years that we've had a meteorologist here, we've actually had our views outpace the increase in views that the um, that the general press website has had, and you guys have been on the page for longer on the press on the weather page for longer. So, uh, I appreciate that. I'm flattered. Uh, and it's all part of the growing trend that we have here at the press with page views. But, um, you know, but let's talk about how we met. Um, Shundo's real easy because <laughs> we, uh, roomed together freshman year, so we can't get any easier than that. And, uh, we lived together three of the f- three, three of the five three years. Of, yeah. Five, yeah. Right. Three to five years at Rutgers, uh, and we've been friends ever since. Rob, I don't remember how we met. I was actually thinking about this before we went. Yeah, so I was actually hoping you would have oh, that discussion. So I don't remember. I think it may have just been lost within you know a lot of Rutgers meteorology activities and gatherings. Uh, yeah, you know, probably something was, to do with a friend of ours, uh, Chris Sheridan. Absolutely, yes. 100%. Uh, you know, so... Like Rutgers meteorology, we were all, I mean, pretty much like I would say like, so Rob's a year older than Shundo and I, uh, but I would say like his grade and our grade, I mean, we were like real tight. I mean, like we were doing everything together. I mean, it was like, you know, we were hanging out. We were, of course, like doing homework. We were, you know, just having fun, you know, and I think um, Rob, I really don't remember, but Rob and I both played hockey. So we okay. had that. Um, you know, Rob and I were both uh, big gym guys. You know, Rob's right now bulking out of his his nice pinstripe or his uh, window pane suit jacket right now. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the one thing that drew us all together is that we all uh, can we say we work together, Rob? Well, no, I was an intern. I was an intern. <laughs> Still working. You were on the payroll. Yes, I was on. I was on the uh, official payroll. AKA got zero dollars uh, for www.brolicbeats.net. Um, you know, we were kind of a big deal in the EDM world for about how long, Rob? Maybe two years? Yeah, two, two, three yeah, years. Yeah, two, three yeah. years. But also, it's important to say it was the two or three most uh, – it was when EDM kind of peaked. So yeah. so we, we caught that. Exactly. Yeah. We, you know, we don't want to brag and say, like, we kind of, like, made EDM, like, big. But <laughs> maybe we did. I mean, well, I should say maybe Rob did. Rob was the uh, – what would you call it? The, uh, the CEO? The CEO. CEO, co-founder, head honcho. Right. What do you want to call it? yards, yeah. I wish I still had my Brolic Beats uh, wristband. But, uh, yeah, BrolicBeats.net. Um, if you go there right now, what happens if you go to the website right now? So, unfortunately, we lost our funding for the domain. Mm. You know, I just couldn't justify the right. whopping $20 per year for right, the domain. Right. So, if you actually go to BrolicBeats.wordpress.com, mm. I believe you'll get to the site. But, you know, in, in essence, the Brolic Beats was more of a movement around right. the intersection between dance music mm-hmm. and working out. Uh 
a lot of fun, you know, basically putting together a blog and uh, posting about music, workouts, getting to go to shows. Right. Uh, Some you know, interviews too, I remember. Yeah, interviews. Yeah. You know, we had we had Joe, um, got, got hooked him up with some tickets to EDC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Electric Daisy Carnival, for those of you who aren't familiar. Yes. Big House Carnival. This was back in 2012. I think it was 2012 I went. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of good comps, you know, since it wasn't really – meant to make money off of it but we did get compensated through uh you know shows and you know we had some swag right, a little bit swag. I, I still have a, a a breast cancer awareness product beats uh, that's shirt. that's the best one yeah uh so i think uh as you guys saw we did a lot of stuff together so uh whether and otherwise here so and you know now we're just still friends since then um so I don't actually know the answer to this question, but I usually ask all meteorologists when I do podcasts, what got you guys interested in weather? Rob, go ahead. Sure, I'll start. Um, I think most meteorologists, it's usually like it starts young, like unlike other professions. I think it's usually, you know, fairly early on that you want to be a meteorologist. And it's usually one event, I think, that triggers them. And I think for me, I think it was like a... It was a blizzard event back in, I would say, 2002. I was maybe 12, 13 years old. Is that the President's Day? It was, actually. PD2, as it's called in the weather world. Um, <laughs> so just, like, glued to the event, you know, watching Weather Channel, you know, up to the event. And then I, what I, I was going through my, my stuff a couple of years ago, and I found this kind of weather journal thing where I'd go out and measure the snow every hour and this kind of weather journal thing. And, I don't know, it's just that event that triggered me to – not only like snow, but wanting to, you know, pursue that as a career. And, um, yeah, that's, that's probably the, the main event. Yeah, for me, uh, I, I can't really pinpoint one specific weather event. But growing up, I remember I used to love that show, uh, Storm Stories, on, on the weather oh, channel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I remember every every time it would come on, I, I'd run over to the TV and just be glued to the screen for, for an, an hour or so. Um, but, uh, for me, you know, part of it was also the fact that I was always into the, like the physical sciences and, and math and meteorology was really kind of the ideal intersection of, of both of those things. Um, I was always a numbers guy. I love that sort of stuff and weather just sort of combined it in the most interesting way, at least to me at, at that time. And that, that's really what got me into it. Yeah. I think like, I say it all the time. So if you guys have like heard me come out to a event before and you, and you probably heard me say this before, but I think, and you, maybe you guys can correct me, I would say if you took 10 meteorologists and you asked them how long they've been interested in weather for, I would say probably six out of 10 since be- said, excuse me, would say since before middle school and probably seven out of 10 before high school. You think those numbers are right? Do you think they're even too low? You think 70 um, percent before high school might be too low. I mean, most people develop their fascination with weather at a pretty early age. Yeah. I, uh, Rob, what do you think? I think maybe 70, 80 percent is could be 80. Fair, yeah. It's just something like you just fall into, you know, like, I mean, I've always wanted to do it. Like, there's not even an event, really. I mean, a lot of it was just growing up watching, you know, weather on TV, you know, which I think was where many of us get it from. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads me into my next question, because, you know, not only do you guys, you know, you're in different sectors than what I'm in. So I'm in media. You guys you know, are in other sectors, but not just that. But, you know, it, the forecasting part is different than even what I'm doing. Um, and in some cases, not doing much forecasting at all. Um, so compare and contrast. I mean, you guys kind of know what I do in a day. So I like, kind of compare and contrast like what like you would do as opposed to what I would do on like a typical day. Sure. Yeah, I can start it off. I mean, from my perspective, you know, being in the weather consulting, it's, you know, it's a little bit different each day. 
Um, you know, I started out my career being more of an operational forecaster, so providing, you know, uh, daily forecasts for utility operations so they can prepare for events, uh, you know, feeding those forecasts into decision support tools, things like energy forecasts and renewables forecasts. And then once I joined IBM, it was a little bit different joining the consulting world since, you know, each day you're working with a different client who has a specific problem that you're trying to solve. Um, you know, so on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, you know, it's a lot of calls with, with different clients, with, with your team members, uh, and the global role. So it's usually calls starting pretty early, sometimes 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, going through all the way sometimes in the evening to accommodate different time zones. Um, but it's more on, you know, trying to come in and basically solve a particular problem that the client has with respect to whether and building a solution, usually involving some sort of analytics to, to help that. So yeah. combining weather plus analytics plus your background in the industries is kind of, you know, the approach that we take with, right. with our opportunities. Were you going to tell them about the private jets that you fly on? Private jets. Uh, Life's good being you. Yeah, there was there was an opportunity where I was uh, fortunate to take uh, the IBM corporate jet to a client meeting. I don't know how that happened, but it uh, was certainly Right. A memory. If you're not going to brag about it, I'll brag about it for you. Sure. Uh, okay. And then, you know, Shundo, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, I'm definitely not living the private jet lifestyle. That's close. for sure. <laughs> um, living but, in Manhattan. But as an aside, though, I mean, I think it's it's kind of cool, though, that how over, I mean, I, I'd say especially over the last 10 or 15 years, the way weather has really kind of found its way into um you know, industries that traditionally didn't really understand or, or really value the need for having meteorological expertise in, 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 the, in their fields. Um, case in point, uh, you know, in, in the investment space, um, sure, there have always been energy and commodities. I mean, oil markets have been trading for over 70 or, or 80 years now, but the, the real value of having timely weather data in that sector uh, wasn't realized, you know, up until, you know, maybe 15 years ago at most. So the work I do, I mean, my day-to-day -day is is actually, um, I mean, it's a, not a huge percentage of, of weather per se. I mean, it's a lot of research for asset management and things like that. But weather does play a role in all of that in a sort of indirect way. Um, and then occasionally, you know, when the need does arise to have some sort of meteorological expertise, um, I'm the go-to. And it's it's kind of nice to be that person who can really uh, offer to be be the expert on any kind of weather topic. So, like, what's something that you do, and maybe it's not every day, but at least on a regular basis, that, like, would influence, like, everyday people, you know, the common folk who's sitting here, maybe listening in Millville, you know, like, is there something you guys are doing that influences them in some way or another? Yeah, I mean, from the IBM side, now that we own the weather company, you know, the kind of global reach that weather company has with their forecast. So, if you're uh, an iPhone uh, user or you use Google or Facebook as a search engine, you know, default weather app is weather company. So, you know, chances are you're using our forecast and you don't even know it. And, you know, we do that at scale, you know, producing over 2 billion forecasts, you know, every 15 minutes. Um, you know, it's, it's quite remarkable. It's it's big data. It's, it's IoT at scale. You know, it, you know, we also bring in recently with our new weather model, we're bringing in pressure sensors from, from smartphones. So there's there's so much that goes on that a lot of folks don't really understand. And even just behind the forecast, you know, we're, you know, the forecast that you get on your phone is the product of multiple, close to 200 different actual weather forecast members that get blended 
Um, so it's a lot of things behind the scenes that I think a lot of people aren't familiar with, but it's, it's really, really impressive. So actually, it's funny where you just said what you said, because I have the Weather Underground app on my phone, and I had to accept that they would use my phone for pressure sensors. Mm -hmm. So is that something new? Like, tell us a little bit about that if you know any, what you know about that part. Yeah. Because so, people's fire, you're going to see that all the time. Yeah. So, we, we, there was a recent announcement. We essentially launched our latest and greatest next generation weather forecast model. It's called Graph. And what Graph is doing is essentially it's producing a global uh, weather forecast at three kilometers. Uh, and that's small, just to let you guys know. I mean, that a three kilometer. Um, you know, model is the resolution on it is that that's very small. We call that meso scale in the uh, in the weather. Yeah, I mean, especially on the global scale. You know, global models right now are running maybe say nine kilometers mm -hmm. European GFS yeah. and so forth. But being able to scale that um, across the globe and continuously run that, you know, uh, interrupt any every hour going out, you know, say two days, um, you know, essentially plugging the gap to where you know. Some sites or some locations, you know, India, the more remote areas are now are able to get the same resolution forecast that more populated areas have. And bringing in these smartphone measurements, you know, pressure is a very good indicator uh, as an input into the forecast. So, you know, having that is, is something that is, is pretty unique. Yeah, that, that's really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, so the work that my department does at BlackRock is it's it's a little bit different from this stuff. But I mean, I think a lot of New Jersey residents, one thing they're going to start noticing over the next several years going into the 2020s is um, the presence of, of more renewable energy. Um, so, uh, you know, a few months ago, I mean, there was a pretty big news article uh, basically saying that New Jersey is committed to procuring several hundred megawatts of offshore wind um, by the mid 2020s. Um, now, that doesn't mean when you go to the beach, you're going to necessarily see, you know, wind turbines uh, yeah. out in the ocean because they are pretty far out there. Um, so you probably won't see them from the coastline. But what this does mean is that a lot of uh, your electricity is it's going to start coming from from greener sources. Um, and, uh, you know, which, which is, which is great. And that, that's exactly the direction, uh, we probably want to move the world in, right? So how, how does that happen? And, and so that's kind of where BlackRock comes in. So what we do is we guide, uh, we try and guide our investors, um, by way of, uh, you know, their, what kind of funds they want to invest in and, and things like that. Um, and we guide them into investing in projects, uh, like offshore wind projects that are coming off uh, the coast of states like New Jersey and Maryland and Massachusetts and things like that. Um, so a lot of lot of private capital going into in, into things like that, and uh, naturally there's there's a huge weather component in determining uh, exactly how much power these kinds of assets are capable of generating. Uh, so a lot of research analysis and and, and data analysis behind that. All right, cool. I think we're pretty much good. I mean, we got everything I wanted to know about what you guys do. And I think I hope everybody listening understands, you know, that there's different sectors in meteorology. And, you know, you don't even have to always be doing a day-to-day, seven-day forecast to be involved um, in weather. Um, so what are you guys looking forward to uh, for the rest of the conference here? Is there anything that, that's really uh, jazzing you guys up? I mean, the conference is – there's just so so many different talks. I think, like, there's usually, like, 2,000 – talks across yeah, it's the five days and it's just it's, it's really tough to plan for uh so but the goal is really to try and get to attend all the conferences that, and sessions that you want to you know it's and it's also tough to you know manage work back at home um but yeah i guess i'm just looking forward to i mean there's 
you know, as you mentioned, there's so many sub-conferences pertaining to different industries. So there's, you know, Shonen and I obviously focus on the energy committee. Yeah. There's ones on aviation, broadcast that, of course, you're speaking under. So really kind of focusing more on that. There's a lot of sessions around artificial intelligence and analytics that I also kind of want to attend as well. Um, there's just so many things going on, but mm-hmm. kind of focusing on your niche areas is what I look forward to. Yeah. And actually after this, after we're recording this, we have our uh, Rutgers alumni dinner as well. So we're going to meet up with all the people that we haven't seen in probably quite a number of years. It's going to be a good time. I already saw uh, one of my old professors, uh, shout out to Dr. Decker. We passed each other uh, as we were uh, going in and out of the men's room uh, today. So that, that's 